What frightens us today is exactly the same sort of thing that frightened us yesterday. It's just a different wolf. This fright complex is rooted in every individual. So what are you afraid of? One of the members of my family is afraid of clowns. When they see them sitting on a seat or in a window or something else, they freak out. Our 23-year-old son, not the one that lives in Northern Ireland, in case you decide to play a trick on him, is afraid of spiders. When he sees them, he really, really, really doesn't cope well. I don't like lots of things in jars. Doesn't matter whether it's screws or nuts or a beard of men with a beard of bees. Ooh. Lots of things, or baths of, you know, uh, people used to have, um, to raise money, they would get into a bath of beans. Frightens the life out of me. The idea of it just makes my skin crawl. Don't know where it comes from. Don't, as far as I remember, ever uh, recollect being plunged into a bath of beans. Some people are afraid of the dark. A friend who's a pastor not very far from here. Uh, was afraid of the dark all the way through his adult life until not so long ago. Some people are afraid of small spaces. Some people are afraid of big spaces. But then there are other things that people are afraid of that we don't talk about so much. Saying goodbye. Loss. Being alone. Death. Or dying. What are you afraid of? The Greek word for fear is the same word that the English word phobia comes from, but originally it means to take flight. It's where the idea of a flight or a, a stay I, uh, notion comes from. You're afraid of the thing that you run away from quickest, you're afraid of the thing that you'd rather not face. C.S. Lewis, at the beginning of his book, A Grief Observed, in which he reflected on his wife's death, has this as an opening sentence. I never knew, no one ever told me, that grief could feel so like fear. When my brother died a couple of years ago, I was trying to find something that could indicate whether or not he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'd shared the gospel with him many times, but I never knew and I was looking through his house for something that could indicate one of his wishes or something. And I found two things that were of great, three things that were of great significance to me. The first was many years before I'd given my mum a Bible and a paraphrase called The Message. And um, under my, bro my big brother's bed, I found the Bible with things in it, some notes underlined. And it told me that he'd been reading it. He put his will in it. It was as if he wanted me to know that he'd been reading this book. On his kitchen um, notice board, he had taken post-it notes and written little verses from Scripture and put them on there. And then right beside his bed in one of the drawers, I found a copy of the book, A Grief Observed. His partner had committed suicide a few years before he died. And when I picked up this 
book, A Grief Observed, there must be 70 or 80 uh, fluorescent post-it notes on it. I was going to bring it to let you see tonight, but I've left it in my study. I've never read that book. I've read the book, but I've never read that book. Because I want to wait until I've got time and space to reflect on the things that he's underlined. I flicked through it. And that line, I never, the only, um, the, de- the, the line that said, nobody ever told me that grief could feel so like fear. The very first line of the book is underlined in Colin's copy of it. Well, nobody ever told me that fear could feel so much like uncertainty and losing control. When fear rises in our hearts, we feel as if we're losing control. We're grabbing at things and they're falling away. There's nothing stable or uh, reliable or steadfast or, or strong enough to hold us up. And we feel as if we're drowning. We feel as if we're sinking. We don't know what to do. I want to talk to you about living free from fear tonight. Because I think the Bible promises us that it is possible that Christian faith and trusting in Jesus Christ, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, promises a way through fear, promises a way beyond it. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that Jesus has freed us from the greatest fear that we will ever face, death itself by dying. But I'll come to that in another week. The resurrection of Jesus Christ reminds us that he's overcome the greatest fear of our lives, death. But here is one thing that I know is certain. You will never overcome your fears by running away from them. They'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Pretending they're not there, locking them away, is never going to get you through fear and out the other side. I guess some of you heard me talking about phobias earlier on and thought, well, that doesn't apply to me because I don't have any phobias. I'm not just talking about phobias. I'm talking about fears that might grip your life. Fears that might stymie your choices. Maybe a fear of not providing for your children. Maybe a fear of seeing one of them lost. Maybe a fear of having to cope alone. Nelson Mandela in his book, A Long Walk to Freedom, said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid but he who conquers that fear. I've heard a lot of preaching about fear over the years. And I honestly think that some of it is misplaced. You should never be afraid, is what it will say to you. There's nothing to be afraid of. You should never be afraid. That's not how the Bible approaches this issue. The Bible acknowledges that fear is part of the human condition. It's something that we respond to. If you'd like my take on this for a moment, I want to suggest to you that that the instinctive response in our emotions and in our psychology and in our body of adrenaline rising and fear feeling as if it's rising, when used correctly, is a gift from God. Fear rises in us, not simply when there are false facts, although it does when that is true, and the video points that out. I'm going to talk about it in a minute because I think it's fantastic. But fear also rises in us when we are in danger. 
When something's happening and the outcome is uncertain, fear rises. It is what we fear that will determine whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's how we handle that emotion, how we handle that experience that will determine whether fear drives us away from God or toward Him. Whether fear locks us in a corner and tells us there's no way out or opens a doorway into something that is possible. The American Southern Baptist pastor, Rick Warren, who was at one time the pastor of the fastest growing church in the world, has written quite a lot about fear. And he has suggested that the Bible contains 365 fear not verses, which is rather helpful in a year with 365 days, isn't it? What many people don't know about him is that when he began the church that he now leads in Saddleback in Orange County, he said to God, um, first of all, let me tell you the, the broader story. He's allergic to his own adrenaline. Rick Warren is allergic to his own adrenaline. So from about six or seven minutes into his preaching, he can't remember what he's saying. Some of you say, does that happen to you, Malcolm? Because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> so when he preaches, he always has someone sitting in the wings, ready to come in and pick up his sermon notes and preach his message. When he started the church in the 1980s, he said this to God, I could maybe cope with preaching once a week, but don't ask me to preach twice. Well, the last count, they had 17 services over a weekend. He's had to overcome his fear. He's had to face it and walk through it. Now, some of you will not believe what I'm about to say to you, but it is actually true. I am not afraid of preaching, but I get extremely nervous about it. I always have. I feel sick. Every time I have to get behind the pulpit. Now, before some of you start to deliver me from some kind of spiritual force at work in my life, that is not what's going on here. The biggest crowd I've ever spoken to is 375,000 people. The smallest crowd is one. I feel the same level of inability, whichever context I find myself in. This evening, um, before I began preaching, you will have noticed that I did this. Uh, Pip has talked, the pastor Pip has talked to me about it a couple of times. I turned around and looked around. I do it every time I preach. Turned around and looked around the room. I'm not looking to see if there are any assailants present. I look around the room and I say to God, please will you help me to communicate with these people? Because I don't know how to do that. I need God to settle my nerves. I need him to lift the anxiety that I feel about preaching. It is one of my parts of my character that actually I've come to believe is a gift from God. Because I need his help. I need to lean into him. And it doesn't matter who it is. I've spoken before presidents. I've spoken in the United Nations. I've spoken in the European Parliament. I've spoken at Westminster. I've spoken um, wherever, it's places that I never thought I would ever stand in front of people and speak. I've done it. And that same level of I need your help rises in me every time. And it rises in me here tonight. So... As we begin to explore this topic, I guess the first thing that I want to say to you is, I can't promise you that you're never going to fear anything. Because I don't think the Bible promises you that. But I can promise you that there's a way of dealing with it. 
that will take you through it and out the other side and make you stronger, that will help you to be more courageous, that will give you a perspective on life which is better and healthier and stronger. But I can't tell you what you fear. Only you know that. Only you know what it is that most rises in your heart when I say the word fear. But let me ask you something. What is the thing in your life that you think, I couldn't live, I couldn't go on if this happened? Have a think about it. I couldn't go on if my wife died. I couldn't go on if my husband died. I couldn't go on if my children died. I couldn't go on if I lost my business. I couldn't go on if I went bankrupt. If there's anything or anyone in your life and you think, I couldn't go on without it. That's another way of saying that the fear of losing it has a grip on you. I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to do something in our hearts here tonight and with those watching online. In his first inaugural address as the President of the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Where does it come from? The negative aspect of it. What are its roots and how do we deal with them? If you have a Bible, would you please turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 10. To set the context, I'd like to read from verse 7. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. Now turn back in your Bibles, please, to the very beginning of the story of Scripture, the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you amongst all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And the man To the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust. And to dust you shall return. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a good fear that will set us free from every other. It's the fear of God. Putting him first, having him at the center of our lives, allowing his voice to be loudest in our heads is a way of dealing with so many other fears. There's a healthy fear, a deep sense of awe and respect at who God is that displaces other fears and anxieties. But the fears that are mentioned in some of the scriptures that I have read from uh, Genesis chapter 3 and from John chapter 10 point to a source of fear which is Satan himself. That he will kill, steal and destroy everything that he can about your life. That he will whisper into your ear this thing that he whispered into Adam's ear and into Eve's ear. Did God say? Can God be trusted? Can he be trusted in the small things of life? Can he be trusted in the circumstances of life? Can you trust him in your family? Can you trust him with your future? Can you trust him with your heartbreak? Can you trust him with the sorrow in your life? That sense of not being able to trust God is what gives birth to the deepest fears in our lives. Of ignoring his voice, of not listening to what he's saying, of setting our own priorities. It gives birth to shame, to blame, to failure. It gives birth to worrying about whether we will look bad in front of other people. It gives birth to an anxiety about what other people will think about us. It gives birth to a deep sense that we are going to waste our life if we don't uh, live differently. All of those fears are rooted in the wrong soil. God wants to deal with those. 
As I said already, Psalm 111 verse 10 and Psalm 112 verse 1 remind us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Turn with me, if you can find it, to uh, the 1 John, the general epistle of John at the back of the Bible. And listen to John, an old man, talking to a church in Ephesus, trying to help them to keep focused on who God is and what God wants. 1 John chapter 4, verse um, 16b. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected amongst us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because... As he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. The only way out of fear that will cripple your life is to have a deep personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ that helps you to understand that you do have nothing to fear of the Lord, that you are loved and accepted for who you are, and that he will finish the work that he has begun in you. To have him as the pulsating heart of who we are and what we do is the only route out of fear. John Lennon, Three years before he died, in an interview with a New York magazine, said this, Fear grips the human heart until we learn that we can be free by understanding that we are loved. When someone loves us, they free us from fear. And he went on to say this, The stronger the love of the person who loves us, the greater the freedom from fear that we experience. What stronger love could there be than the love of Almighty God, the creator of the universe, who is committed to his people and promises never to leave us? I want to take you to a passage in the Bible in Mark chapter 4, where we are going to spend a few minutes reflecting. It's a very famous story. It's also told in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to, 30, 23 to 27. But Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, is the version of this story that I'd like to focus in with you on this evening. There aren't huge differences between the account in Matthew and the account in Mark. It's the story of Jesus Christ telling his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat and they're hit by a storm. Let's read it. Everybody got it? You can answer me, I don't bite. Please, if you have a Bible, open it, even if you're not opening it. Russell appears to, so I feel as if you're opening it. Or turn it on. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side, and leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. 
Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. This is a remarkable story. And it helps us address the issue of fear in our own lives. Note what it says in verse 35. He told them to cross the sea. Some people experience fear because they're out of the will of God. You're doing something that God hasn't asked you to do. Not too long ago, I had a conversation with somebody that was involved in illegal activity. It wasn't massively illegal, but it was illegal enough to be illegal. And he said, could you pray that the fear of being caught is lifted from me? What do you think I said? No problem. I said, I can't pray that. He said, why not? I said, because what you're describing as fear is conviction. It's not fear. It's the Holy Spirit saying to you, sort this out. Be careful that you know the difference. As a pastor, I've had the most ridiculous situations. People coming to me saying, Pastor, I couldn't help it. I had to leave my wife. I fell in love with another woman. What can I do? It's just life. There are consequences from our choices that we have to live with. And they're not fear in a negative sense. That's why I think we need to be careful about how we define this thing. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you about something, that's not the same as an unhealthy fear. That's a healthy drawing of God of you into a right place. These disciples were told by Jesus to get in the boat. The safest place in the universe for you to be is at the center of God's will. And the most dangerous, fearful place for you to be is out of it. To be walking or living in a way that contradicts what God has asked you to do and be is a profoundly challenging thing. This story of these disciples being told by Jesus to get into the boat and to follow him is important. So as you address the issues of fear in your life, let me ask you a question. Is it because you're doing something that God doesn't want you to do? Is it a fear of getting caught? Is it a fear of being found out? Is it a fear of being exposed? They're not bad fears. They lead you to a place where you can call out to God. You can ask him for help and he's willing to come alongside you. But verse 36 takes us into another realm. Because we're told, and leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. There were other boats with him. Verse 37, a great gale arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. So here's a group of people doing what God wants and facing challenge and uncertainty because of it, and they get afraid. The famous Christian and theologian Frederick Buchner in a book called Beyond Words, Daily Readings in the ABCs of Faith said this, Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. 
You see, the reality is for Malcolm Duncan, the 47, nearly 48-year-old man who's been a Christian for a lot of years now, I have found myself feeling fearful even in the center of God's will. Because a storm has hit the side of the boat of my life. I find a a wave rising or a wind rising and I don't know what to do. And fundamentally the fear comes where in that situation? Why does it arise? Well, I think the answer lies in the story. Where was Jesus? Of course, we have the gift of knowing the story. He was asleep in the boat. But what good was he to them if he was asleep? At least that's what they thought. How's he going to help if he's asleep? He can't see, he can't hear, he's not aware, he doesn't care. Now here's the interesting thing. If you look at every single story in the New Testament where questioning of God arises or questioning of Jesus arises, it revolves around the same thing. You don't care. You don't see. You don't understand. You're not able. You have no idea what I'm going through. Mary and Martha, when their brother dies, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Thomas, I'm not going to believe him. I can't see him. If he's not here, I can't see Why would I believe him? Unless I put my hand into the wounds, I'm not going to believe him. Every single time fear rises in people in the New Testament, it's because they question where God is. They wonder whether he's really there. They go beyond this sense of his presence and they are fearful because they are entering a period of a sense of his absence. But read verse 37 and 38. Listen to the beginning of verse 38 in the New Revised Standard Version. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He was still there. That thing that you're fearing, actually sometimes our fear is rooted in God isn't here. He can't see. He doesn't care what I'm going through or he's not willing to help. None of that is true. It's all a lie. He is there. Because when you are a Christian, Christ is always there. There's nowhere that you can go that he isn't present. Doesn't mean you don't feel as if he's not there, but he's still there. The theologian and hymn writer Timothy George wrote this not too long ago. When I was a student at Harvard Divinity School, I learned preaching from Dr. Gardner Taylor, a pastor in New York City. I'll never forget those lectures. I remember him telling us a story from when he was preaching in Louisiana during the Great Depression. Electricity was just coming into that part of the country. And he was out in a rural black church that had just one light bulb hanging down from the ceiling to light up the whole sanctuary. He was preaching away and in the middle of his sermon, all of a sudden the electricity went out. The building went pitch black and Dr. Taylor didn't know what to say being a young preacher. He stumbled around until one of the elderly deacons sitting in the back of the church cried out, Preach on, preacher! We can still see Jesus in the dark. Sometimes that's the only time we can see him. In the dark. And the good news of the gospel is that whether we can see him in the dark or not, he sees us in the dark. 
He knows what we're facing. These disciples' fears were rooted in questioning God's purpose for their lives and wondering what was happening and whether he really cared. Listen to verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many times have you said that to God? Do you not care? Can you not see? Don't you understand? What does Jesus do? Verse 39, he woke up and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? A couple of years ago, I was preaching through the book of Acts. And I'll never forget the first Sunday in November of that year because I was preaching on Acts chapter 27. It's a passage of the Bible that is often overlooked because it's so full of narrative. It's coming to the end of the book of Acts and Paul is on a boat on the way to Rome where he will eventually die. I'd like to read that narrative to you. It's quite a long portion of scripture. And then just help you to think about it for a moment. They set out on a boat, and in verse 13 of Acts chapter 27, they hit a storm. When a moderate south wind began to blow, they thought they could achieve their purpose. So they weighed anchor and began to sail past Crete, close to the shore. But soon a violent wind called the Northeaster rushed down from Crete. Since the ship was caught and could not be turned with its head to the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven. By running under the lee of a small island called Kaida, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship. Then, fearing they would run to the citrus, they lowered the sea anchor and so were driven. We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up amongst them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete, and thereby avoided the damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life amongst you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor, and indeed God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we will have to run aground on some island." When the 14th night had come, as we were drifting across the Sea of Adria, that's the Adriatic, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took soundings and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took soundings again and found 15 fathoms, fearing that we might run on the rocks. They let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and set it adrift. 
Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will help you to survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were 267, 76 persons in the ship. After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. In the morning, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship ashore if they could. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the ropes that tied the steering oars. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the, the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the ship aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest to follow. Some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And you say to me, what a boring story. What a remarkable story of overcoming fear. Of overcoming the unexpected. Verse 14, they were hit by a northwester. A wind tunneled down into them that they didn't expect. They thought they could manage on their own up to then. And then in verse 15, they had nowhere to run. In verse 17, they're carried by the storm. In verse 18, they're pounded by the storm. In verse 20, you read those powerful words, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being, of our being saved was at last abandoned. These people start throwing things off the boat, loosening anchors, throwing off the sails, throwing out the tackle. Get rid of everything. We've got to do everything we can to get rescued and nothing will save them. And they give up hope. They're ready to give in. They're petrified of dying. Nothing is working. Death is stirring them in the face until Paul says to them, God told me that you wouldn't die. God told me that he had a plan for my life and I am going to stand before the emperor. So no matter what happens on this boat, I'm not dying. He heard God's word and he held on to it. And fear was broken, not only in him, but in all those around him. He had the courage to believe that what God said was true. Now they lost the boat. They lost the tackle. They lost the anchor. They lost their possessions. They lost all of their courage. They lost everything. But they survived and landed in new territory. If you've been gripped by fear all of your life, and you allow God to get a hold of you tonight, you may lose everything else, but you may end up in new territory with a new future and a new destiny and a new sense of purpose and a new sense of meaning. Fear, when the enemy uses it, destroys us. Fear, when God uses it, leads to change. It leads to new discoveries. It leads to new possibilities. You've all heard of Rosa Parks. She's one of the most famous names in the civil rights movement in America. In 1955, she refused to give up her bus on a seat to a white man 
And she was arrested for it. She wrote a book called Quiet Strength, and here's what she said. When I sat down on that bus that day, I had no idea history was being made. I was only thinking of getting home, but I had made up my mind. After so many years of being a victim of the mistreatment my people suffered, and of being afraid, not giving up my seat, and whatever I had to face afterwards was not important. I did not feel any fear sitting there. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. It was time for someone to stand up or in my case sit down. So I refused to move. In an interview about that historic day years later, she corrected some misconceptions about what had happened. She said, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. That isn't true. I wasn't tired physically, or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I wasn't old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was only 42. No, the only tired I was, was tired of giving in. Don't keep giving in to fear. Don't let it get the last word. Don't let it control your life. Don't let it destroy you. Stand up to it. But don't stand up to it in your own strength. If you are not a Christian watching online or in this room, standing up to fear in your own strength will only lead you into deeper and deeper trouble. Because eventually your strength will run out. The only way to stand up to it is to stand up to it in God's strength. In the promise that he has given, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will finish what I have started. My wife and I were talking about my sermon coming along in the car. We often do. And I said, you know, in the end, I could save 35 or 40 minutes by simply saying, the greatest challenge for us as Christians, for those of us that are Christians, around fear is to remember this, God never leaves us. What he said he's done, he will do, he will do. We fear when we forget that. He is strong enough to make a difference. He is close enough to know. He is loving enough to care. And he is faithful enough to carry you through the storm. He is strong enough to make a difference. He is close enough to know. He is loving enough to care. And he is faithful enough to carry you through the storm. So what are you afraid of tonight? What anxieties grip your heart? What fears rise in you? What is it that God needs to break in you? What is it that he needs to set you free from? The Apostle Paul could get to this place when he wrote to the Romans, I am convinced of this, that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I think God wants to do two different things in this room tonight and on the internet. I think for some of you that are Christians, he wants to minister into some of the deepest fears that you've had. The fear of what other people think of you. The fear of one person's control in your life. The fear of that voice 
when you make a decision, it's always that voice you hear. What will my dad think? What will my mum think? What will my pastor think? What will my elder think? What will my deacon think? What will my life group leader think? And it's an unhealthy obsession with somebody who is controlling you and holding on to you and generating fear in your life. And I want to break that in the name of Jesus Christ so that the strongest voice in your head is the voice of Almighty God saying, I will never leave you. And I will finish what I have started in you. And I think there are others here or watching online And fear has become such a part of your life that you are controlled by it beyond any words that I could describe. And he wants to set you free from it. And the journey into that freedom is giving up your own strength and relying on his. And letting Almighty God visit you by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took your sin He took your shame, he took your failure, and he took your fear. He carried it all. Now, will you let his work penetrate your heart in a profound way? Let's pray together. Could I ask you all to bow your heads and to close your eyes? You're welcome to move amongst us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak into your people's hearts, I pray. Come, Lord, by your power and put your finger on those things in our hearts and lives that you want us to relinquish to you tonight. I want to invite you to open your hands before you as a simple act of surrender to God. And if all of us are willing to do this, then what's going on between us and the Lord is nobody else's business. Some of you are not impacted by fear at all. So as you open your hands, you're saying to God, continue to guide me, continue to be the center of my life. Thank you for delivering me from fear. Others of us know what we're holding in our hands. Fear of men, the fear of failure, the fear of being laughed at, the fear of death, the fear of collapse, the fear of losing someone. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. Lord, take our fears. Lift them from our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remind us tonight that you are present. That you are in the boat of our lives and that you see and know what is happening.
Help us not to fear what has not happened. Help us not to be driven by the false facts that we heard about in the video. The lies, the uncertainties, the what-ifs and the maybes break their power over us. Help us to deal with the lives that we have, not the lives that we're afraid of having. We give you our anxieties. We give you our fears, Lord, and we ask you to lift them from us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let faith grow in our hearts. Let trust rise in our spirits. Thank you that you are strong enough to be able to do something, that you are close enough to see and know what is going on, that you are loving enough to care and that you are faithful enough to finish what you've started. Lift the fear in your people's lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fear of men, the fear of people, the fear of others, the fear of ourselves, the fear of making a mess of things. Break its power in our lives, Lord. Help us to be confident and following you. Help us to rely on your strength and grace and mercy. Give us wisdom to be able to identify where the devil might be trying to trick us into um, a corner and make us feel helpless and hopeless. Help us to know the difference, Lord, between fear and conviction. And for your people here tonight, Lord, help us to give the things to you that we know are wrong in our lives so that they don't have power over us. Bring us to the center of your will and keep us there, Lord. Fill us with courage and hope. And where people have been stuck in fear long enough, where they have been held by it, I speak authoritatively in the name of Jesus and I say, enough. Break the power of the evil one's lies over your people in Jesus' name. Break the fear of being trapped in your people in the powerful name of Jesus. Break the fear of what might happen in the powerful name of Jesus. Bring liberty and life to your people, I pray. Help us to hold on to the promise of your word. Break the lies of the evil one spoken into us or over us by anyone. Break unhealthy influences in our thinking. Break unhealthy influences in our lives. Keep us focused on Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy at work in your people. Thank you that in Christ we have confidence and boldness. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Fill our hearts with hope through that reality. Whilst no one is looking, only me. If you know God has been ministering into your life in some way tonight, 
Just pop your hand up so I can see it and then take it down again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Don't be afraid. No one else is looking. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Now here's my second question, and it's a really important question. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to be set free from fear and you want to walk in a different way and you want your life to look different and you're ready to give it all up and to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy for you, if you would like to become a Christian and have the power of fear broken in your heart, then where you are when nobody else is looking, please just quietly raise your hand and take it down again so I can see it and I can pray for you. I want to give you the chance to step away from all that has dominated you up until this point and into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There is freedom in him. Not everybody raises their hands in meetings, I understand that. I just want to give you this chance. And if you're responding online to either of those invitations, just drop us an email so we can pray for you. Drop a, an email to pip at dundonaldelam.church and my colleague, Pastor Pip Kerr, will pick up your correspondence and be in touch with you. Thank you for the power of your spirit at work in your li our lives, Lord. Help us to walk in your ways and to trust you in every aspect of our life. In Jesus' name I pray and for your glory. Amen.